KYW News Radio Original Podcasts. Sometimes it seems like cheating is as much a part of baseball as home runs. There have been numerous cheating scandals over the years. Things like sign stealing when one team tries to see the signs the catcher's giving to the pitcher, pass those on to the batter. Or corking the bat, filling it with a lighter material so it can be swung faster. And of course, there's the use of performance-enhancing drugs like steroids. Some types of cheating have serious consequences, but others are almost applauded, seen as impressive. I mean, John McGraw, who was the manager for the New York Giants in the early 20th century, and I mean, he basically said, it's our job to try and figure out how to get around the rules so we can stay about a half season ahead of everybody else. I think one of the things that makes cheating feel different today in general is that the sophistication and the intricacy and the complexity of it affects how we view it. Dan Levitt is the co-author of a new book about the history of cheating in baseball. It's called Intentional Balk, and he wrote it with Mark Armour. We wanted to get Dan's take on what makes cheating really bad versus what fans are willing to accept, and here's some more of the more innovative ways of cheating he's come across while writing this book. So the book, Intentional Balk, kind of what was the origin story? How'd it come together? Basically, as the, sto- the cheating stories have come to light, whether it's steroids or stein stealing or sticky stuff on the ball, they're all treated very discreetly. It's let's talk about sticky stuff. Is that cheating? Who does it? How bad is it? And Mark, my co-author and I, I mean, we're baseball historians. And what we were really thinking about is what's the context for this? Why are some thought of differently than others? What's the importance of some versus other? What are the connections between them? And so there's a whole story that we felt really could be told around not not just each individual cheating story, but what are some of the themes that that run through these stories? The other thing I'd add is that Mark and I have done some books individually. We've also done a couple others uh, as a team. And the books that we've done as a team have been on team building. And what have the, the most, you know, front thinking, innovative organizations done to get ahead. And to a certain degree, this is like taking that the next step. Like, yeah, what did they do to get ahead? But then what did some of them do when they jumped over the line? So you kind of reference this, the book's kind of broken down, you know, there's steroids, there's different aspects you, you look at. What was the most interesting as far as which aspect of quote unquote cheating is the most fascinating to you? One of the more interesting findings that, that I thought was interesting was back in 1951 was the first drug scandal in baseball. And it turned out that Hal Neuhauser, who was a left-handed star pitcher for the Tigers, and in fact was the MVP that year, and then they went on to win the World Series, Neuhauser was getting Novocaine shots in his shoulder. And in 1951, when this came out, there was sort of this very short but Um, intense scrutiny of that. Some headlines said things like, uh, you know, Tigers dope their way to World Series and others were, oh yeah, uh, it turns out that in fact, Neuhauser was taking Novocaine shots, no big deal. And I think that this sort of led to or helped define how we now view drugs in baseball, which is that if it kind of brings you back to your original ability, sort of like cortisone now or Tommy John surgery where you're taking a tendon from your leg or your wrist and putting it in your elbow, that sort of brings you back to your natural state, whatever that may be, versus enhancing drugs, which sort of puts you beyond your natural state. And I 
there's a big gray area there, but somehow I think this was sort of the first story. And in its aftermath, the, the, you can see in the debate how we got to a little bit of where we are today. It's interesting to me, you read the book and basically it's always something like you're going back from, you know, the birth of baseball, whether it's sign stealing. And when I say sign stealing, I don't just mean, you know, the runner on second base looking in on the catcher. I mean, we're talking, I think it was the Phillies around the turn of the century, 1900, had like this elaborate uh, buzzer system that uh, like a third baseman dig digs up in the middle of the game. Uh we're all familiar with the steroids, with amphetamines back in the 70s. I mean, in every sport, the envelope is pushed, but I do feel like it is more part of the fabric of baseball than maybe any other sport because it's just on so many fronts and it's it's such a consistent thing. You know, one man's cheating is another man's pushing the envelope. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, that's a good point. I mean, I think a couple of things are going on there. I think one is that baseball just has more rules. So I, I just think there's more opportunity. It's just it's a lot more complicated game in many ways. And in fact, part of the reason the rule book is so complicated is because people were always trying to break the rules. Somebody would sort of push the envelope a little bit and then the rule makers say, hey, we don't like that. I mean, John McGraw, who was a manager for the manager for the New York Giants in the early 20th century and probably the, the best known personality in baseball before Babe Ruth, I mean, he basically said, it's our job to try and figure out how to get around the rules so we can stay about a half season ahead of everybody else. So I, I don't think there's any question that there's some uniqueness to baseball. Uh, but on the other hand, I think that, you know, we're talking about the most, the 1% of the 1% of the most competitive people we've ever met. And I, you know, I think whatever professional sport is, People are cheating. I mean, there's the scandal that's coming out now about chess. And there was the story the other day about the fishing contests. I mean, it's just if, if there's prize money and a way to sort of figure out how to get around things, somebody might try. Do you think fans care? Now, obviously, you care if you feel your team has been wronged by the other team. But overall, do you think the average fan cares about cheating, has cared about cheating over the decades? Well, let me draw a dichotomy because we when we draw in the book, which has to do with deceiving the umpire versus all other cheating. I, I think that we have come to believe ever since the umpire was introduced into baseball in the 1850s, before that it was sort of call your own, like pick up basketball. It, it, I think the sense is, is that if you can get away with something and the umpire doesn't catch you, that's okay. So trapping a ball in the outfield and holding it up as if you caught it the neighborhood play at second base where on a double play, the second baseman not actually touching second base, but just sort of having his foot near the base. Now, I think the spitball falls a little bit in that because I think some people are saying, you know what, it's the umpire's job or the other team's job to point out that I'm throwing the spitball. And if they don't catch me, it's not illegal, sort of like, you know, holding in football. You know, it's not holding unless it's called. So I think there's this deception of the umpire that, there's sort of a romance around it, a little nostalgia. But I mean, people, if it happens to your team, you're obviously really unhappy and angry about it. I, I think when you get beyond that, where it's stuff that it, it's not really detectable, uh, then I think people feel a little bit differently about it. You know, whether it's steroids or the sign stealing, where things are, where it's not really something that the umpire can pick up on. 
and you say sign stealing, and I mentioned the the story you have in the the book about you know the at the turn of the century with the buzzer system and all. But that is something. I mean, you go to the Astros hitting the trash can. I remember about in the middle of the the Phillies run of all their division titles, they had a situation where their bullpen coach was called in in the middle of a series in Colorado because they thought he had like I think it was binoculars and stuff like that. I mean, sign stealing is something. You know, here we are. 150, 160 years later, the form has changed and the technology, well, maybe not the technology, banging a trash can is not that technological, but it's the concept has remained throughout the history of baseball. Well, one of the more interesting things about sign stealing during the 20th century is there was no rule against it. The rule basically came around 2000 when it became illegal to transmit the signal electronically. (laughs) <laughs> you know, the buzzer system. That's a great story on the Phillies because, you know, modern binoculars were invented, modern prison binoculars in 1894. And by 1899, the Phillies had figured out in, in Germany and, you know, the Phillies had gotten some binoculars and were using them out there in center field. And anytime somebody was caught, A, they denied it. So you and, and the baseball authorities said, well, if someone's really caught, we're going to do something about it. But in fact, there was no rule against it. And when anyone was caught, no one actually ever did anything about it. So one of the interesting things that we found, or not, I, sort of maybe it's just a law of human nature, is that all of the controversies are around where the perceived benefits of the cheating very much uh, exceed the penalties or probability of getting caught. And when you have situations where the perceived benefit is much more than the perceived penalty, you're going to have chaos and controversy because some large subset is going to decide that there's an opportunity there for them. And sign stealing throughout the 20th century was one of those where, I mean, there were times in the late 50s where most of the teams were probably doing some kind of sign stealing just because, again, there was no penalties for it in any any real sense. It's interesting to me. You talk a lot about the the steroid era in baseball, and I really feel like that's really made a – the game very murky in the idea is that there is all this kind of trying to go back and adjudicate things that happen when it comes to like Hall of Fame and records. And we're seeing this with Aaron Judge as we're talking just to his 62nd. And he sets the American League record. And there's a lot of people saying, you know, I mean, a lot of them are Yankee fans saying that that's <laughs> the, the, the real record because they don't consider Bar- what Barry Bonds did, what Mark McGuire did. Strictly looking at it from the the steroid aspect, what do you think that has done to damage the game overall? Or is that more something people like us worry about? And once again, the average fan just kind of shrugs. Well, I think there's a certain shrug to it from the average fan. I mean, the, the, the real problem, well, there's a lot of problems, I guess. But to me, the heart of the problem from sort of trying to analyze this is that we have no idea who's actually guilty. And so going back to adjudicate is essentially impossible. You know, the, 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 this idea that the Mitchell report somehow brought some closure to this, it actually opened it up even worse because what happened is we realized that in the Mitchell report, they had the, the few people that they knew that they'd publicly come out st- stuff about. And then they had a couple of people who they got to talk, trainers or people involved with some teams that talked about the people they knew relative to those teams. And, and that's sort of what we know. And, and they've said, you know, anybody who's on part of other teams, we don't know. I mean, people talk about there being 10 to 50 percent. I mean, I have no idea what the number is. No one has any real idea what the number is because there was no testing. And that's a sort of what I was talking about on my previous point. When you have a situation where you have this perceived benefit, 
of steroids and no real ability to catch or punish anybody, you, you just get this crazy, chaotic situation of controversy. And so until testing came, and even probably a little after that, until the tests were, you know, good, I think to a certain degree, we just sort of have this sort of this area where we just don't know. And as far as I'm concerned, until baseball does some sort of NCAA ruling to, you know, vacate records, that's the record. It's as unsettling for me, I think, as for any other fan, but I don't, there's no way to really know what happened then. And so we just sort of got to live with that. We need to take a break. We will have more with Dan Levitt right after this. This is KYW News Radio in depth. A Philadelphia dentist today was sentenced to 22 years in prison and fined $100,000. This was just unbelievable. You got to understand the genius in Larry. Nobody was doing coke at this point. No one could believe that this highly educated, young, handsome man was this kingpin drug dealer. This is Wolves Among Us, the Larry Lavitt story. A documentary podcast from C13 Originals, a Cadence 13 studio. Listen now on the Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. And we are back continuing our conversation with Dan Levitt on KYW News Radio In-Depth. What are some of the most unique things you came across putting this book together? Well, I mean, if you look at the recent stuff with the spider tech, one of the interesting things is, so spider tech was invented by for the world's strongest man competition. So these guys could carry these giant Atlas stones. This was around, you know, 2010, 2012. And they have been quoted saying, gee, we were getting all of these, <laughs> we, were, we were getting these requests from major league clubhouses for spider tech. And we, we had no idea why that was coming in. And when you match, match up spider tech uh, with the high-speed video and the radars, that I mean, the, the pitch design, the ability to put the stuff on your fingers and then try and figure out exactly what it was going to do. This isn't, you know, Whitey Ford throwing the Vaseline ball to Yogi Bear and Yogi saying, yeah, you know, that kind of, kind of went down and out side a little bit. Let's maybe try and throw it a little differently. This is using high-speed video to see exactly where the pitch goes. You know, what's its spin rate? Uh, what's its elevation and horizontal distance from the center of the plate? Where exactly were your fingers when you let the ball go? So I, I just think it's really fascinating. You know, and again, I think this pitch design is still going on legally. But when you ma married that up with the, the spider tack, you just had something really sort of fascinating uh, going on. And, and I think one of the things that makes cheating feel different today in general than it probably did when, you know, we were talking about 50 years ago and more is how much is that the sophistication and the intricacy and the complexity of it affects how we view it. You know, if it's one guy putting spit on a ball, it's kind of like, well, maybe that's boys will be boys. But when you're doing this pitch design, that feels different. When it's some guy in the outfield, a pair of binoculars waving a towel, that, that feels a little bit different than when you have interns, you know, looking at a, at a video screen and then, you know, radioing to the dugout who are then, you know, banging on a trash can or running however they were communicating between the video screen and the dugout. I mean, it just feels different. different. And so I think that's part of what's changed our perception as well. Given the internet, social media, the quality of instant replay, the fact that games are on every night and you can, the whole country, if not the whole world, can watch them. You know, I think 100 years ago, it was relatively simple to, you know, put something on the ball. Or even earlier than that, when 
there was only one umpire and he's looking at the plate and the runner's going first to third and he just cuts across the infield. Like stuff like that. The level of scrutiny now where somebody can put something up on Twitter and it's a video that's watched millions of times by millions of people. Uh, it's just harder now. It's got to be more sophisticated. I mean, obviously the technology is better, but it, it's just harder to, to sneak things past just because of the, the ability to, to see things over and over from every angle. Right. I mean, right. That's exactly. Everybody's got a camera today. I mean, not just the ones at the stadiums, I mean, everyone's got their, their cell phone, you know, as I was saying before, too, one thing that's that's changed is this whole notion of dis- deceiving the umpire really doesn't, you can't do it anymore. The idea of the neighborhood play or, you know, at first base, you know, Ed Cranepool, you know, or Gil Hodges, the, the idea of learning to pull your foot off the base a split second early so you could get that call. I mean, you you can't you can't do that anymore because it's it's all going to be challenged on on replay. So a- absolutely all of the the camera technology and all of the eyes on everything has changed how cheat and it has, it has made it be, be more sophisticated, but I mean, you know, people are still, you know, theoretically you could still park a bat. I mean, we're not X-raying bats when guys come to the plate. Um, and again, we talk about a lot of other types of cheating, like front office cheating, where you have, you know, teams doing roster violations, you know, the Braves GM five or six years ago was banned for life from baseball, John Capoella for uh, illegally, sort of signing minor, uh, excuse me, uh, foreign players beyond the limits and using deceptive means to do that. So, you know, I mean, it's certainly the the on-field stuff can be caught that way, but (laughs) there's a lot of off-field stuff as well. You know, kind of to your point of deceiving the umpire, there's kind of, it's only cheating if we say it's cheating. Because I look at something like the shift, you know, we're put the third baseman in the right field to take away left-handers who constantly pull the ball. And, you know, for the longest time, it, that's not looked at as cheating. It's just looked at as as defense, but yet they're changing the rule so that you can't do it anymore. So then is it kind of cheating? Because if it's so bad that they've got to change the rule, it kind of makes you think. <laughs> <laughs> couple of thoughts on that. One is it's sort of like what I was talking about with John McGraw earlier, which is what, you know, it, it, baseball teams sort of look for loopholes in the rules. Mm-hmm. And I don't want to say it's a loophole, but look for ways, loopholes in the rules to, to get an advantage. And then either the other teams copy and catch up and or the rule changes. I mean, my take a little bit, which is not necessarily exactly on the cheating question, but the job of the team is to figure out any way they can to win within the rules. And if that hurts the quality of the game, then baseball has to change the rules to make the quality of the game the way they think the quality of the game ought to be. But I don't, I don't put it on the teams or the analytics. That, that's their job to try and win. It's then the job of the owners and the commissioner and whoever they put in charge of that and Theo Epstein right now to figure out how to redesign the game to make it uh, so people still want to watch. You've dropped some great names of people who pushed the envelope over the years who are some other names and not necessarily stars but some people you think that feature prominently in the book or have some great stories about them that uh, really fall under the umbrella of what this book is all about well one of the fun things about and the nuances about cheating is that a lot of the people that we really respect sort of got themselves in you know some hot water along the way branch ricky who obviously is rightly remembered, most importantly, for signing Jackie Robinson and starting the integration of baseball 
He also invented the farm system. I mean, you can't do much more than that if you're going to be an innovator in baseball. And after he invented the farm system, he realized that he could use it before that minor leagues were independent and a minor league team wasn't necessarily affiliated with a major league team. And he realized that, you know, he could sort of illegally control these players longer than he was allowed to under the standard rules of, of the time as to how you controlled how a team could, could hold on to young players. And Judge Landis released 74 of his players in the late 1930s, just made them free agents because he said, you you know, you, you, you cheated by holding these, but you, you both slowed down their ability to advance and you denied other teams the opportunity to, to get them after, after a certain amount of time. And so that, that's the kind of thing that we just found was interesting. There's another, you know, great sign stealing story from the, you know, from around 1960 where Al Worthington, who was a, a pitcher who for religious reasons didn't want his time team to be sign stealing. And he was on the White Sox. And again, there was no rule at the time. And he basically went to the, went to the manager, Al Lopez, a very respected guy and said, I want you to stop. And Lopez said, this is none of your business. And there's no rule against it. He then went to Hank Greenberg, another very respected person from baseball history, and said, I want you to stop. And Greenberg said, we're not going to stop. You know, this is baseball. We're trying to get advantages. And then he went to owner Bill Vack. And Bill Vack in perfect Vack E said to him, who do you think bought him the binoculars? <laughs> so, you know, I mean, these are it, it, what's funny is how. Just, I mean, and again, there was no rule against sign stealing at the time, and, and it was everybody did it. So I'm not trying to say that these people were somehow were our, our judgment of them is unfair, or, or, or we should revisit our judgment. But just how nuanced all this stuff is throughout baseball history. What do you think the future of cheating, rule bending is? We kind of talked about instant replay and stuff like that do you think it, it will fall more because people are going to continue this is not this is human nature this is going to be part of the sport as long as there there's a sport do you think it's going to fall more on the the paperwork front office type thing you, you talked about you know what happened with the braves a few years ago stuff like that uh or do you think we will just see more ingenuity where which do you think the future lies with this so let me answer like this. I, I think that, again, it, it, the benefits and the penalties need to match. I think in a lot of the stuff that, that's from recently, they match. I think people aren't going to do steroids unless there's some sort of a funky way mistake or they didn't mean to do it. I mean, I don't quite know why people take steroids because you're going to get caught um, with the testing. And if maybe if there's some way where you don't get caught. But I guess what I'm saying is, is I think that the penalties and the testing are such that it's going to, for the most part, deter steroids. I think sign stealing, again, we have these new penalties in place now for the GM, and now there's been some put in place for the players as well. I think that's going to deter sign stealing. I think we have the, the scrutiny on the sticky stuff. So I think that the, the benefits and the penalties now match in sort of the stuff that we've historic recent history have been the biggest issues. I think baseball's done a nice job of fixing that. I think where stuff's going to be going forward you know, I think a lot of the stuff could be on the health side. You know, remember the bionic man from the 70s? Are there, you know, instead of just putting a tendon in your elbow, are there going to be things that actually make an elbow better than the one you were born with? Uh, what are other things around gene therapy? I mean, some of this stuff may not be detectable. And what, what are the rules um, going to be around that? You know, you can leave a lot of stuff on the medical side, injury prevention, right? Let's say that a team comes up with a, with a way uh, that and they somehow make it proprietary to um, minimize elbow injuries of their pitchers. Well, the pitchers traded to another team and it's proprietary. Are they, are they allowed to take that information with them? Because obviously it's to their benefit to keep their elbow better. But 
is it cheating to like steal this information? So, I mean, I think there's a lot of stuff that, that that's just unforeseen consequences of a lot of sort of innovation, particularly on the health and medical side. And then, of course, the electronic strike zone, all right? I mean, I, you know, we all think that, I mean, I, it's coming, right? And, you know, is there going to be a way to interfere with that by moving your knee in a funny way or, right, or sort of sticking your elbow down and somehow getting a ball call instead of a strike? And then the other thing is I'm assuming they're going to have to set everybody's strike zone, right? They'll, they'll take a video of people. I mean, I'm not sure exactly how they're going to do it, but they need to set your strike zone. And maybe when they set your strike zone, you, you crouch more than you normally would. I don't know. There's a lot of between big data and technology and the medical side. Uh, there's plenty of ways for people to try and figure out ways to, to take an advantage that and some may not be within the rules. What do you think goes into whose cheating is eventually forgotten or we don't care or actually it was kind of cool and the cheating that people are stigmatized for the the rest of their career. What do you think goes into that? You know, there's a number of things. Let me um, sort of take a shot at a couple. One is, I think, just going back, I think deception of the umpire is generally viewed as okay. So if it's on the field and deception of the umpire, it's okay. Um, I think there's something that we feel around purity of athletic competition, which is that, you know, we are looking at the greatest athletes or the greatest baseball player athletes in the world against each other. And we want to feel that that's sort of a quote, fair competition, that if someone does something to make that unfair, such as steroids, that that we we feel differently about that. You know, because it's interesting because of this roster manipulation stuff, like we were talking about with, John, with, with the Braves and John Capolella, or, you know, Chris Correa, who was the scouting director for the Cardinals, um, was sentenced to 46 months in jail for computer hacking into the Houston Astros database. And both of these were severe penalties, but I mean, I don't think it was a sort of sense of moral outrage among casual fans around this. So again, I think that even though those front office things might make as big a difference, I think the purity of athletic competition, sort of the idea is 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 very much at the forefront. Um, I think another thing we talked about a little bit was the sophistication, the intricacy, you know, the complexity of it. Things that feel more organized and masterminded feel more that's that that that's worse than just you know, one guy trying to do something. And then lastly, I just say, you know, you talked about a little bit earlier is what was the efficacy? Did it work? You know, I think if the Astros had lost, you know, in the divisional series that instead of winning the world series, I'm not sure that, you know, it'd be quite as big a deal as it is now. The fact that they won is magnified the issue. Just one final comment. You were talking about cork bats. I think cork bats are sort of a unique outlier here because to me, that's beyond deception of the empire. It's something that's going on in the back room. And yet people sort of, again, treat that sort of romantic, romantically. I think all of the other ones you can kind of explain away one way. I mean, not, but you can rationalize it based on, okay, here's our principles of how we're going to look at this. And therefore, this is what people may care about, maybe what they don't. But cork bats is, is sort of a unique one in there because it feels like people ought to be more sensitive to it than they are. The only thing I can say is that there's been a number of studies on cork bats, and it's not really proven that it makes a whole lot of difference. Um, so maybe it's just the fact that you know, it just maybe it just doesn't work all that well or make all that much difference. Somebody wants to get the book. Uh, tell us all about it, where they can get it. So the book's called Intentional Balk, and our website is intentionalbalkbook.com. It's at the usual outlets. And again, intentionalbalkbook.com has a lot of stuff about it and also links to where you can find it. 
That's it for this episode of KYW News Radio in depth. You can listen to the podcast free anytime on the Odyssey app, and you can find it wherever you listen to your favorite shows. I'm Matt Leon, and we'll have another episode out soon.